Well, what a great, great truth it is, aren't you? You're glad tonight that we can know that we belong to Him, and He belongs to us. What a great, great truth. All right, have your Bibles tonight. I want you to open with me, if you will. Romans chapter 3, very familiar text, our passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, when you find verse number 9, if you are physically able to do so, please stand to your feet with me, please. Romans chapter 3, verse number 9. Now we're going to read through verse 17. Then I'm going to have you read one of those verses with me. Romans chapter 3, verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. For their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. I want us to read verse number 17 together. It is the text verse for tonight. Let's read that together. You ready? And the way of peace have they not known. And I want to pull something out of that verse tonight. And try to preach to you with the help of the Lord. The way of peace, the way of peace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come and have this time we can be together in the house. Oh, dear Lord, we have enjoyed and been uplifted by the songs of Zion. And now as we've come to this portion of the service, the bread of life has been broken. And once again, I stand here in thy presence before thy people. And I recognize the great responsibility, the great privilege I have of being here. But also I recognize, Lord, my inability, and oh, dear Jesus, my unworthiness to be here. So once again, I would ask you to forgive me of my sin, please. Cleanse me with the blood of Calvary that I could be fit for thy service tonight. And Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with unction from with power that I can preach in such a manner that every person who sounded my voice would feel this message for them and them alone. May the lost be saved, the saved be challenged, the discouraged, encouraged, the backslidden, reclaimed. And oh dear Jesus, above all things, may Jesus Christ be glorified. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord began to deal with my heart about this particular thought this way this week. The way of peace have they not known. Really, as I begin to pray for and think about a lot of things, particularly what's going on in Israel, I begin to think about peace. And you see all that's happening over there. And by the way, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible teaches us that. But at the same time, they have the absolute right to defend themselves and should. Let's make that very, very clear. But you got to think about peace. And you realize that all over the world tonight, there's much rhetoric said about peace. In this nation, 
there is much rhetoric said about peace. Now, how do we have peace? Isn't, I mean, I just quoted you a verse of Scripture, or a part of a verse, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What does that mean? What does God mean by that? How is it that, that you and I can have peace? What is it to seek for peace? What does it mean personally on an individual basis? What should it mean for our families? What should it mean for our church, our communities, our state, our nation, our world? And in this text, we begin to see something interesting about peace. Now, they're seeking peace, but they don't know how to have it. So let's set a stage in this text in a minute. Go back if we go to verse number 9. There are four things, real quickly, that we need to see in the first four verses we read tonight. Number one, in verse number 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they're all under sin. I want you to notice that. Last phrase of that verse. We are all under sin. What does that mean? Well, the reason that we have no peace is because of sin. Any, any, any lack of peace in my life, in your life, in my family, your family, in our, our nation, our churches, around the world, you can trace it back to sin. They're all under sin. The second thing is found in verse number 10. It's an off-quoted verse. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We don't like to admit that, but we are not righteous. Well, we, we like to tout our own goodness. But the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So we've seen a couple of things. We're all under sin. Sin takes away peace. And there is none righteous, no, not one. Now look at verse number 11. Verse number 11 says something also. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Now by the way, the only way we'll ever have peace is if we're seeking God. But I find that just like he says here, there is none that understandeth. They don't understand how to have peace. And they're not seeking God or the God of peace. They're seeking peace through their own inventions, their own ideas, their own uh, understanding of it, rather than seeking God and letting God give us understanding about peace. And then verse number 12, there's the fourth thing, and it says this, in verse number 12, they are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, I want you to know that they've all gone out of the way. Now, what does the way mean? Well, oftentimes you see that word way, it's talking about a path or a road. And so go down to our text first now, verse number 17, because in the next verse, he just tells all these things that we're guilty of as human beings and as people, and it just describes our most unglorified actions. But when you come to verse 17, it says, And the way of peace have they not known. Now, if we're going to have peace, we've got to know the way of peace. If I'm going to have peace in my life, I've got to know the way of peace. I've got to know the path of peace. If Elizabeth and I are going to have peace in our home, 
We've got to know the way of peace. If, if we're going to have peace in our community, if we're going to have peace in our church, we're going to have peace in our country, we've got to know the way of peace. But this says, the way of peace have they not known. He says they don't know the way of peace. They, they've rejected it. They're not seeking God. They don't understand it. And, and they've just thrust it aside. All right, now what is the way of peace? Now, there's one other thing just sort of setting the stage for this thing. I want you to keep something here. We'll, we'll refer back to this from time to time. Uh, but but I, I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs 14, the 14th proverb. Now, in the 14th proverb, we're going to get something that's important for you to understand. There's a, a verse of Scripture here in Proverbs 14, 12, that you ought to underline. I've actually sort of underlined three different things in this verse. And it's important to see this verse of Scripture. Proverbs 14 and verse number 12. Notice what it says. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, I want you to notice in this verse, he says, there is a way or a path that seems right unto a man. In this verse of Scripture, I I did something. There is a way. I underline that word way. Seems right. And and so there's, in our lives, we have all kinds of things that people are saying about the way of peace and how to have peace. It seems right. Sometimes it might even sound right. But it says, the end thereof is a way of death. He said, when you follow that path, and when you come to the end of it, it brings death. And I have that underlined. Well, I sure don't want to do that. I don't want to be following a path that seems right to me and follow it for a length of time, maybe my whole life, seeking that and come to the end of it and find out it's death. So you see, as as human beings, oftentimes we we look at something and we say, this is a right path. And we're very adamant about it. And it seems right. And it looks good. But the end of this thing is contrary to the will of God. And it brings death. So in this verse of Scripture, in Proverbs 14, 12, there are two paths. There is a path that man looks at, that we look at as human beings, men and women, and we look at it and say, this is the right path. And God says, that's a wrong path. And then there is the path that God says, here it is. Follow this. And by the way, it always looks too easy. Just follow God. It always looks too too simple. Just do what God says do. But those are the choices that I have. I either follow what man says, or I follow what God says. Now, by the way, there's no there's no there, there's no meshing those two things. I have to yield myself to the Word of God, and whatever God says, I'm going to do it. And, I have to decide that I'm just going to follow God, and I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to follow Him. 
And by the way, just for emphasis, God repeated this. Look if you will, you're in Proverbs 14, look in Proverbs 16, in verse 25. It's interesting, when you see a verse repeated, that it's not because God's sort of forgot what He's doing, He's repeating itself, it's for emphasis. And look in verse number 25 of Proverbs 16. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's verbatim, identical. You know what God's trying to do tonight? It, with this passage of Scripture, these two passages, He's trying to get our attention. He says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So if I'm looking for the way of peace, i got to recognize that there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way may lead to death. But God has a way that will lead to peace, and by the way, to life. So having that thought and having laid that foundation, how come is it in our text in Romans 3.17, in the way of peace they have not known? Why is it that we do not know the way of peace? Why is it that we have turmoil in our lives individually? It's because we don't know the way of peace. Why is it that we have so much contention in our homes and our families? It's because we don't know the way of peace. Why is it that we have the problems we have in our country? Because we don't know the way of peace. And why is it we have problems in our world that we see going on? I mean, my, my, if you just pay attention to the world tonight, there's, there's no peace, really. I mean, look what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Look, look what's happening as, as, as we've seen this horrific attack uh, there in, in Israel on, 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 on God's chosen nation. Why is this happening? The way of peace have they not known. Well, how do we have peace? How, how is it that we can have peace tonight? It is by knowing the way of peace. By knowing the way of peace. He doesn't say in verse 17, they can't know it. He says they have not known it. And so the Bible is very clear about peace. Is it possible that you and I can have peace tonight? Is it possible as we do, as I've said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem? How does that happen? Well, we got to know the way of peace. And we got to find out that man's way brings death, but God's way brings life. To follow God, will, uh, to follow man, will always bring, and the end of it, death. But to follow the things of God and follow the way of God will bring life and peace. So what is that? So let me lay a couple of more foundational verses and we'll get into the message. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 with me, please. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, this is sort of a familiar passage with us here. This is one of these verses is where the name of our church comes from. A lot of people think that we named Cornerstone Baptist comes from the fact we're on the corner of 10th Street and Miller Avenue. That's not true. Uh, when we started the church, we were in a storefront building in the middle of a thing. It had nothing to do with the corner lot. God just provided this later. So where did the name come from? I want you to notice something about this great text of Scripture. And so we start in Ephesians 2, and I want you to go to verse 15. We start reading there. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making, what does it say? Peace. Now I want you to notice that Jesus Christ has made peace. He's made a way of peace. Now, he's made this peace. Now, now how, do, how do we see the way of it then? If Christ abolished the enmity on the cross, and He did, and if He has won over death, hell, and the grave, and He has, and He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He is, then, then what is this peace, and how can we have this peace? We'll keep reading the text, verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Well, the peace always comes through the cross. Whether it's in my own soul, whether it's in my family, whether it's in my community, or my country, or my world. The real peace that passes all understanding comes through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep reading. Next verse, verse 17. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. You see, Jesus wants to preach peace to us. He wants us to have peace. It is the will of God that we have peace. And Christ went to the cross and He defeated Satan on, on, the, on the cross. He defeated sin. And He has peace that is available to us. And He preaches peace. He gives peace to us. The way of peace we have not known because we have rejected Christ. And keep reading. Next verse, verse 18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. How do we come to God? Through the Spirit, through Christ. Verse 19, now watch this. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. And here's where the name of our church came from, verse number 20. And are, built on, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Everything must be built on Christ. He must be that cornerstone that everything else comes off of. He is the chief cornerstone. If we're going to have peace, it's got to start with Christ. If I'm going to have peace in my life, it's got to start with Christ. He's going to be the cornerstone of it. If I'm going to have peace, in, if Elizabeth and I are going to have peace in our home, if we're going to have it in our family, it must come from Christ. If we're going to have it in our community, it's got to come from the cornerstone that Jesus Christ is the one that gives peace and preaches peace. And it must be from that cornerstone. Next verse, verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed groweth unto an holy temple and Lord, in whom also you are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, if we're on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ and He has given us peace, we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. The Holy Spirit will lead us in the way of peace. So whenever we come to our text verse again in Romans 3.17, and it says, And the way of peace they have not known. Why do they not know peace? It is because that Jesus has been left out. And it is because God has been rejected. 
So if I don't have peace in my heart tonight, it's not because I was born somehow with some way of not getting it, it's because I've rejected it. If Elizabeth and I do not have peace in our family tonight, it's not because that for some reason we can't have it, it is because that we have not known it, we've rejected the way of peace. If we do not have peace in our nation and do not have peace in our communities, it is because we have rejected the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we have peace? Well, we've got to get in the right way, the right path. There's three things about this that God began to do with my heart about this week. If peace comes through Christ, and it does, then what is the way of peace? That starts, number one, with individuals. We would like sometimes for this peace to start with communities or countries or states, cities, but it starts individually in my heart and in your heart. And so how do we have peace in the soul of men, women, boys, and girls? How can I have peace in my, in my soul tonight? With all that's going on in the world, can I have peace here? With all the conflict and the turmoil and every wicked thing that's going on outside, can I have peace here? Here, can you have peace in your soul? Sure. How can you have that? By having peace God's way. All right, let's look at a couple passages of Scripture for that. Number one, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is one of my favorite passages on peace. There's a great promise that Jesus makes here. Matthew chapter 11, and we begin reading in verse 28. Now, I, I want us to, to understand this passage. And I want you to understand who's making this promise, and then the promise itself. It is an individual promise. It is a personal promise made by Christ that every man, woman, boy, and girl has an opportunity to take or an opportunity to reject. And you find in this passage, in verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now I want you to notice, he doesn't say, I'll try to give you rest. He doesn't say there's a possibility that you could have rest. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. By the way, you'll never have peace till you have rest. Now notice that Jesus made a promise. Now tonight, no doubt, we've got a good crowd here tonight. I'm not going to do anything of this nature, but if I started over here with, with Colt and Colt and Bailey, I guarantee you that there's some issues they have to struggle with in their life. Some issues that sometimes out of their control some things they have to deal with, sometimes people, things of this nature. Everyone in this room would have those things. You're having to deal with it. And Jesus says, and those things cause you to have anxiety. They cause you to have contention. They cause you not to be able to lay your head down and have rest. 
And Jesus says, Come unto me. By the way, now I'm not attacking nothing, so don't take it the wrong way. He doesn't say, I want you to go to the self-help group. I want you to come to me. I'm not saying those things are not good. That's not what I'm saying. I want you as a, as a Christian to understand something. He says, come unto me. By the way, he doesn't say, I want you to go to your family. I'm not saying family can't help. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But Jesus says, I want you to come unto me. You see, the first thing that I need and that you need when you find yourself where you do not have rest is listen to Jesus and the first thing He says, Come unto Me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And He makes you a promise. And I will give you rest. Now watch what else He says in verse 29. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Now notice, once you notice, He says, I want you to come unto Me. Now by the way, when I come unto Him, what am I to do? When I come to Him, He says, now listen, I want you to take My yoke upon you. A little while back, there's a couple... A couple of good friends of Elizabeth and I, they don't live in our county anymore. They used to go to church here and they moved from this county. But they gave me a yoke, a true yoke. I got that thing at the house. It is a large piece of wood and it is cut out so that it will fit over the necks of two animals and then there is things that come up under it and it yokes them together. And I tell you what, if they're not in, in step, if they're not in sync, they have a hard time. If one of them's wanting to go one way and one's going to go the other, they got a fight going on and they don't do any good at all. But if they're together and they pull together, then, then what they, the yoke is tied to, the weight is easier to move. Now Jesus says, I want you to come to me. By the way, I need to come to him and give him my problems and give him my turmoil and my anxiety and my fears and, and, and the things I don't see a way through. But when he says, and i, and I got to do that, but he says, when you come to me, I want you to do something else. I want you to come alongside me and the yoke that I'm wearing, I want you to put that yoke on you. There's a great truth in that. Because then I've got to walk in step with Jesus. Now he says something else in that verse. And learn of me. So then Jesus says, now I want you to come. I want you to yoke up with me. And I want you to then let me teach you how to live. I want you to let me teach you what to do, what not to do, where to go, how to do it. You know what Jesus is saying? He says, I want you to come unto me. I want you to put my yoke on your shoulders. And I want you to let me teach you. Now watch what he says in verse 30 because it gives something else about the rest of life. And it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what he's saying? He says, I'll tell you what you'll do. If you'll come and come to me, you'll yoke up with me. And let me teach you. You'll find out that when we start pulling, I'll do most of the work. And you'll find out that my yoke's easy. It's not hard. You'll find out the burden's light. It's not hard to pull. 
you'll find that if you'll come to me and you'll let me teach you and you'll yoke up with me, you'll find the contentions in life's not hard at all. You'll find the right way of life is not hard at all. You know why? Because Jesus is doing all the pulling. Because Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting. Because Jesus is one that's teaching me what to do and what not to do. What to say and what not to say. And how to live and not to live. How to act and not to act. And, and Jesus is now teaching me because I am yoked up with Him. The way of peace have they not known. You know what the world does? They scoff at what that, that, verse, that passage of Scripture says. By the way, as a child of God, if you scoff at that, you say, I'm not going to do that. that. That don't seem like something I want to do. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's two ways that you have peace in your soul. Or one way. You'll either come and do it Jesus' way, or you're going to try to do it your way. You can do it your way for a while, but your way will eventually, my way, your way, the way of a man, the way of, of people, men and women, that way will eventually, eventually cause you problems. And Jesus says, now you come unto me, all oh, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. How do I get that rest? Take His yoke, my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's a great truth in that. If I don't have peace in my heart, it's not because of the people that's causing me trouble. If I don't have peace in my heart, it's not because of the circumstances that I find my life in. If I do not have peace in my heart, there's one reason. The way of peace have they not known. It is because I have refused to yoke up with Christ. Now there's truth in that. Whatever it is that's going on in my life, Jesus is able to give me peace about it. And the first thing I must be willing to do on an individual basis is come to Him. He says, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man at the end there are the ways of death. It's not going to work. Now let me give you one other passage on an individual basis. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse number 27, there's another promise that Jesus gives. There's another promise about having peace in my soul. And I want you to notice what it says. John chapter 14, verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If my heart is troubled and afraid, it is because I do not have the peace that Jesus promised me. Now listen, I've lived long enough to have had some pretty things of life happen to me that everyone happens if you live long enough. Some things that will trouble you. Sometimes there are things in life that you and I have no control over. 
As I think about this passage of Scripture, I begin to think of several things. Sometimes we may live in life and there are storms. As I was thinking about this passage and thinking about this message, a little over 20 years ago, we were in a service like this on a Sunday night, and little did we know that there's a storm brewing. We left this service and went home, and probably one of the worst storms that ever came through our county did. It affected a lot of people in our church. It killed my aunt and uncle. In the middle of all of that, there was peace. You say, why is that? Well, because he promised to give peace if you'd take it. And I had a choice with that. You say, was, in, was that a good time? Well, as far as the world's concerned, it's a hard time. I wouldn't have chose that. My, my, my brother's here tonight, and he and I, he, he's got more grace about this than I do, but we, we found them. That night is a hard thing. I wouldn't have asked for that. But in the middle of it, I found out this verse is right. That Jesus will give peace and my heart doesn't have to be troubled in a bad storm. Not psychology, not man's thinking, but Jesus Christ. I've been in some storms some other ways where there's some people done things to my family. I didn't like it at all. Some wicked things. But this thing still says, He'll give me peace. And I found that to be true. I'm not going to elaborate on that. It's unnecessary. I found people attacked and betrayed. And there's still peace. You see, Jesus has promised something on a personal basis. That whatever happens in this life, He wants to give you peace. And he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when I find myself where that I am full of anxiety and fear and my heart is troubled, you know what I know? I know that the way of peace I have not followed, I have not known. Because Jesus has promised me peace in the worst day of my life. And I can stand here tonight. I've lived long enough now. And I've had all kinds of situations where I've tested this. I'm not unique, nor am I special. I'm an old dumb country boy, but I do believe this book. And if you want peace, you've got to take Jesus at His word. You've got to come to Him in the midst of your trouble. Yoke yourself up with Him. Learn of Him. And recognize He promised a peace that my heart should not be troubled and I should not be in fear no matter what is going on. There's a truth in that. You say, preacher, there's so many things. Listen, 
There are a lot of things that can happen that's not good. There's a lot of things that you and I could be involved in that we wouldn't ask for. And every one of them is covered in these two passages that we've read. Every one of them. I have lived through some of these things. I have lived long enough now to have tested Him. And there is a way of peace. But oftentimes the way of peace have they not known. Because when these things happen, we run away from Jesus instead of to Him. We do not yoke up with Him and let Him teach us and learn from Him. And we do not believe that there's a peace that He's left that's different than the world has. So number one, there is peace in the soul of man that is different than anything the world has because it comes through Jesus alone. It doesn't come through anything else. Number two, can I have peace in my heart? You say, isn't that what we're talking about? Yes and no. He said that in the end of verse 27 here. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But let's go to another passage that will begin to build on that. Go to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Now in Philippians chapter 4, we want to look at something else. Philippians chapter 4. We begin reading in verse number 4. Now I want you to notice something. We're trying to build this thing up. What's the way of peace? Well, it's coming to Christ, taking His yoke upon you, learning of Him. It is trusting the peace that He has left so that my heart is not troubled nor afraid. Now Paul's going to build on this thought in Philippians chapter 4. Start reading in verse 4. It's an interesting verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Now what a verse of Scripture. Paul says, hey, let me give you something. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Now, hold on a minute. Is that possible? You you say, preach, there are some things in life that just has no joy in them. Let me think just a minute. The Apostle Paul was stoned to death at Ephesus, drug out of the city, took up to the third heaven, and God let him live. You think he rejoiced in that? Rejoiced in seeing the third heaven. He saw unspeakable things. It wasn't lawful for man to speak. He never talked about it because it wasn't lawful. But my, don't you know that had to hurt to be stoned to death? He rejoiced in it. He was beaten with rods three times. Anybody that's ever been beaten with rods carries scars for the rest of their life. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails and 39 lashes. He was imprisoned. Acts chapter 16, he's been beaten and he is in stocks. And at midnight, he sings praises to God. He learned this lesson. You see, it's easy to rejoice and sing praises to God when things are going good. It's a little difficult to sing praises to God when your hands and feet are in stocks and you're in an uncomfortable position and you're bound up and you've been beaten. But he did. So when Paul is saying this to the church at Philippi, he's not speaking out of the side of his mouth. It's something he's witnessed and he's been through and he's lived it and he's tested it. 
The truth of the matter is, he says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. One of the things I think hurts our Christianity and our testimony is, you, you know what we do as Christians? We sure don't rejoice, but we sure do know how to co- complain and murmur. We know how to moan and groan and complain and, and nothing suits us and we're always unhappy. And, and by the way, we're even worse about our own people. We're mad at people in church and we're complaining and murmuring about what this did and this didn't do and I didn't like this and I don't know. understand. We're just murmuring all the time. Sounds like the Jews in the wilderness, don't we? That is not what that says to me to do. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Now keep reading the text. We're talking about the way of peace. Verse number 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean, moderation? Well, that means that's your attitude, your countenance. Everybody ought to know your countenance. They, they ought to know. They ought to know you and say, hey man, that man, that woman, they're happy all the time. I mean, they just, they just have a smile on their face and they've got a good attitude. And when you see them, they just, they just it seems like they enjoy life. It seems like they don't ever have a bad day. And by the way, if you got to meet them, you'd find out they're just like you and they have problems and they have troubles and they have tribulations and, and, and they have problems. You know what they've learned? They've learned to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And they've learned that God is in control and that Jesus has promised peace. And they've learned that. And it's the way of peace. Now watch verse 6. Now watch what it says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. That word careful means anxious. He says, don't, don't be full of anxiety about anything. By the way, there's all kinds of things that makes you and I anxious. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen in my life, in your life, that we'd be worried and concerned and full of concern, anxiety. And he says, I don't want you to do that way. I don't want you to be that way at all. And that's not what the way of peace does for you. you. You say, preacher, there's all kinds of things that could happen. I know. I've lived. I've lived through it. I know what I'm talking about. I know what Paul's talking about. I know what God's talking about. God says, listen, I want you to have the way of peace. Now, verse 6, go back to it. And I want you, and we're going to read verse 7 because you've got to understand verse 6 before verse 7 makes sense. Be careful for nothing. You ain't you spend anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Boy, every time I go to God in prayer, I need to go to God with thanksgiving. And then I need to let my request be made known. Now watch verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the way of peace. You see, the truth of the matter is, I ought to have peace in my heart and my mind. I ought to have peace. Now, it doesn't come through the world. It doesn't come through psychology. It it doesn't come through everything working good. It comes from believing that Jesus is God. And the despair can't fall to the ground unless He lets it. And that He is in control. And everything I do, I let Him control. Because I'm yoked with Him. You see, it is possible for you and I to have that. It is what God wants us to have. Elizabeth and I can have peace in our home if we let Jesus be the center of our home. We could have peace in our society if we let Jesus be the center of it. 
But you know what will be one of our characteristics? I will be rejoicing. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts in mind. People say, I just don't understand. You've got a bad problem. How do you have that peace? Well, because there's a great God in heaven. God's in control. We're all right. We're all right. Now let's get another. Let's get something else with this. I want you to go to Psalm 119, verse 165. Here's another truth about this peace and how to have the way of peace. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. There are 22 eight-verse sets. One of the, each eight-verse set is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and, and so in those 22 eight-verse sets, everything's about the Word of God. Everything centers around every one of those verses. Has, there are nine words that, that talk about the Word of God, and every one of those has one. Now watch verse 165, because you're coming to the end of it, and it's all talked about the Word of God, And I want you to notice what verse 165 says. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And boy, what a verse of Scripture. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, the way of peace they have not known. What does that mean? Well, that means that I've not took the yoke on me. That means that I'm not trusting the peace that Jesus gave. That means that I'm not rejoicing over everything and letting the peace of God to pass all understanding keep my heart and mind. What does that mean? That means that this law is not loved by me. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You see, if I love this book, then I know that when people do things to me, that I can forgive them instantly. And Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21 are still in the Bible. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. I know that I can do good to them which despitefully use me, and that God will take care of it. And that will give me great peace. When things don't happen the way that I think it ought to happen in life, and I come through some storm in life, I know that God is in control and He loves me. You know when I get out of bounds with peace? When things, I get offended. You say, preacher, it's easy to get offended. Well, sure it is. You don't know what's happened to me. I understand that. But there's still a promise. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I find myself offended. I can always go back if I'm honest with Mike. It's because I've not let this book take first place in my life. I'm just about done. Now, all of those things revolve around us. But does God have peace in society? Those things are individual. By the way, nobody can stop me from having peace in my heart, and nobody can stop you from having peace in your heart but you. Nobody can stop me but me, and nobody can stop you but you. If I don't have peace, it's Mike's fault. 
Now, I want to blame people or groups or different things, but it's my fault. If I'll do what those four passages we've read tonight and let Jesus have first place, I'll have peace. People think you're in denial. I've been accused of that. So how in the world can you have peace of that? Well, God's in control. No, you, you, you just don't understand it. No, yeah, I do understand it. I do. But I know who God is, and He's all right, and He's all right. But how can we have peace in society? Two quick things, and I'm done. I want you to go open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is an interesting verse of Scripture, a couple of verses I want to look at. How can we have peace in what's going on in society? Well, what, what, what is, what, how can we have peace in this society? And I've mentioned a couple of things. I mean, our society is in turmoil, is it not? There's all kinds of things going on in our society that's ungodly and unscriptural, and, and there's all kinds of things that's out of, out of bounds, and there's wickedness on every hand, and there's evil and crime and all kind, in our nation. And we see what's happening in the world, and it looks like we're going to be sucked into something. How can we have peace? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, what's the list of all men? For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and, what does that say? Peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You know, I've often thought that if we Christians prayed for the leaders we hate as much as we vilify them, it'd be a lot better. Did you catch what I just said? If we prayed for the leaders that we hate as much as we vilify them, we'd have a peaceable life. And that's what God tells me to do. Now, one more thing and I'm done for tonight. These leaders are given to us by God for a purpose. And you'll never really have peace in society unless you have strong, God-given leaders. What do you mean by that? Romans chapter 13, turn over there. Romans chapter 13, now I'll be done. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject under the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now here's the great truth. Do you realize that there's nothing that takes place in this world that God set up in heaven says, mm, I just wish that didn't happen. Did you realize what I just said? That God is not sitting on His throne in heaven saying, man, I wish that that guy wasn't in control but he is. Did you catch what I said? You see, you see how ridiculous that sounds? I mean, God is in control, and He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And He says in verse 1, whoever is in control, I have permitted it for some reason. I may not understand it. You may not understand it. We may hate it and disagree with it, but God is in control of it. Now, by the way, if I learn that, that'll help me have peace about leaders. Every once in a while I get in these discussions with people about politicians and what to do and what not to do. And they say, Preacher, what do you do about it? Well, I pray about it. And you say, what else? Do you go visit them and talk to them? And listen, they don't care what I think. And they don't care what you think. And the quicker you learn that, 
the more peace you'll have because all it gives you is anxiety because you're worrying that they don't care. And they probably shouldn't care. And there's a truth in that. You see, now why did God give leaders? You see, God's given them. You say, I don't believe that. Well, then if you don't believe that, you need to take something and cut that out of your Bible because it's still in there. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It doesn't have an exception of anything. So how are we going to have peace? Keep reading verse 2. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. He says, now listen, God says, I've got this thing in control. We have a problem in our nation today that we don't want any authority over us. We really would like to have anarchy where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We would like to teach that children should not be obedient to their parents. That's an ungodly principle. Parents ought to, Listen, I tell parents all the time, your house is not a democracy, your house is a dictatorship, and you ought to be in absolute control. That's why my kids have an opinion. I know they do. But they're kids, and it's probably wrong. Amen or oh me. They're not mature. It is your job to teach them and guide them. Listen, I was a kid and I had a lot of opinions. I look back on them and I think, man, that was stupid. Now, I thank God I had a mom and dad. Didn't. Listen, my brothers here, he'll tell you this. They never asked Trevor and I about the rules. They never asked us about curfews, when we had to be home. And by the way, they never asked me when I wanted to get up in the morning. It was an absolute dictatorship. They didn't ask me if I wanted to go to work, if I wanted to mow the yard, if I wanted to take out the trash. They didn't ask. Y'all looking at me awful strange. <laughs> it was an absolute dictatorship, and it said, do this. By the way, Trevor will tell you, we were not stupid enough to say, no. I cannot imagine what would have happened. By the way, he and I had the same idea with our kids. My kids are grown. A couple of them here tonight. And his, one of his here, they'll tell you. It was a dictatorship in our houses. By the way, when they come over to my house, it still is. It's my house. They can do what they want in their own house. It's theirs. You see, we've got a problem where we don't want to have any authority over us. By the way, do you know what that branches out into? The schools. You know why the school teachers have so much trouble today? Because they got these little brat kids that can't be spanked. Let me rephrase that. Whooped. Because that's what they need. But they don't want any authority. Y'all looking at me like you think I'm wrong. I know I'm right. See, I was a kid. I, mean, I remember going to school and we had a principal named Lyndon Pippen. I'm a little guy. I've always been little. I was a lot, real small in school. I mean, little. I weighed 120 pounds, dripping wet and full of food, and I graduated high school. I don't weigh much more than that now. And, and when I was in the first grade, I was a little bitty thing. And all of a sudden, I met Lyndon Pippen, six foot six. He looked like Goliath to me. He carried this thing in his hind pocket about that long, a piece of wood. It was a paddle. And he used it often and frequently. He never got the opportunity to use it on me because I saw what happened to others. 
I'm trying to help some of y'all tonight. Where'd those powers come from? God. By the way, there was never any kid hurt permanently because they got a paddling. Ever. You say, my little Johnny got bruised. He probably got worse bruises than that falling out of a tree he climbed up into or playing football on the playground. It didn't hurt him. Hurt his feelings. Didn't hurt him. And by the way, you teach your kid that they don't have to mind you at home. and They don't have to mind the teachers. Then when they get older, we've got some law enforcement people who have to fool with these idiots that think they have no, no authority in their life. And it means... it. Speed limit doesn't mean them. It means everybody else. The laws of the land don't mean them. It means everybody else. It doesn't mean them. And then all of a sudden they have to get put in jail because they've done something illegal. And some poor law officer has to hear some whining parent whine about it. By the way, listen, when I was a kid... Trevor and I, teenagers, it was real clear to us. If we got out and broke the law, the worst possible thing that could have happened was for somebody to call my dad and say, Jerry, Mike's up here in jail. It would not be, what are you doing to my boy? It'd be, he's in a little steel cell, I'll be up there in a minute. If I'd ever got arrested and said, who are you? I am an orphan, I do not have parents. There is nobody to call. It would have been the worst thing in the world. Locked in a steel cell and I couldn't get away. Now that's not the way we think today, is it? Because we don't believe this. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't believe this. And we're expecting peace in society with no authority. Now I'm just about done. I probably should have made this a whole different sermon, but I've tried to help some of you tonight. You can have peace in your soul if you'll do what Jesus says. We can have peace in society if we will do what Jesus says. Now watch the next verse. I'll quit for tonight. Verse 3. 3 and 4. I want to get these two verses. Where rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. By the way, I found out when I did what Mr. Pippin said, he didn't paddle me. He said, that's a good thing. Paddle me on the back. Understand? I found out when I did what it said, those police officers didn't do anything to me. I got pulled over a lot when I first started driving. You know why? Because they thought I was only 10 years old. And they had to see my driver's license. You say, what did you do? Yes, sir. Officer, you want to see this? You say, how did you act? I'm respectful, courteous, because my dad would have beat me to death if I hadn't. Great truth. You know why? Because of that verse. Now read the next verse. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You know the only way to have peace in society? Strong Leadership that knows God sent it. You need strong teachers with the ability to straighten a kid out when he does something wrong. 
You need strong law enforcement that has to have the ability to straighten out an evildoer when he does something wrong. You have to have a strong military to protect the rights that we have from those that would aggress against it. You want peace? God's given us a formula. Individually, i got to come unto Him, take His yoke upon me, i got to rejoice and let Him give me peace. We want it in society. We've got to have leaders that believe God's right. Starts with parents, teachers, law enforcement, our government. And that is the way of peace. And you'll have it. You take those things away, and you will not have peace. The way of peace have they not known. And we ought to know it. And we ought to practice it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight. You have been very